Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10, 11 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 16th of June, 2020. This is episode 252 of Bitcoin and I've got a boomer after me. That's right. That Gary Leland boomer guy. Hell, he's even got that in his Twitter bio that he's a boomer. Yeah, he's 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 that that boomer guy is trying to get me to he wants to give me a discount code for his uh, boomer maximalist conference bit block boom that's coming up in August. And uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know about this. I mean, Bitcoin maximalist conference. Who'd want to go to that? Me, that's who. I've been planning on going to that thing since, God, when did I buy my ticket? Oh, I want to say it was sometime in December. Like, I'm, I've, been waiting, I've been waiting for this thing with bated breath, and it looks like, unless shit breaks loose again and weird pandemic stuff is now occurring, reoccurring in China, apparently reassociated with the food market. Honestly, I'm starting to wonder about this entire narrative. It's getting old, but it, whatever. If this thing happens, I'm going to be at Bitblock Boom. And if <clears throat> Mr. Leland uh, can get me his uh, or get me my discount code before the end of the sh- before I finish recording the show today, I will definitely shill the living crap out of it. Why? Because what I've heard about Bitblock Boom is like that it's not to be missed, that it's really something to behold. And I'm, uh, I'd, I'd be happy <clears throat> to help Gary out on this, this entire thing, honestly. So I'm, I'm actually kind of a little bit honored. <laughs> uh, and also, another thing that I'm honored about is being mentioned in this, what ends up being like a, a fairly large thread that was started by Tatiana Kaufman, at Tatiana Kaufman, K-O-F-F-M-A-N, that's all one word. Um, <clears throat> she uh, had tweeted out, was it yesterday? Yeah, yeah, sometime in the afternoon yesterday. Uh, what are your favorite crypto podcasts? Let's get more people educated in this space. We'll publish a list of the most mentioned ones at Forbes. Why did she say at Forbes? Which is the, well, clearly it's the, the Twitter handle for the magazine Forbes. Um, well, because she writes for Forbes, I was looking at her bio. She says she's a writer at Forbes. She was a derivatives trader. Uh, she says something about being a VC at the chain smokers. I'm pretty sure that just means that she likes the band. That's okay. I, I, I like the band too. She apparently also likes Lincoln park. So this, yeah, she's okay. Uh, says she's a JD MBA, which means she's a lawyer and a business person. And dude, I, I've known people that are JD MBAs. It's kind of a, is depending on what school you go to, it's kind of a brutal program to go through. 
Uh, and she's writing a book on the future of money. She lives apparently somewhere in California. I'm not going to say the city. But she started this thread. And one of the first one up, first things up was Brady Swenson over there at Citizen Bitcoin uh, put up a list of his favorites. And I was like, you know, I'm on that list. And I was, I was super honored to be on that list. But then it went on. I got mentioned a couple of times. Uh, point or uh, point six one five put me on the list. Um, who else put me on? There was a couple of other people put me on the list. And, and I can't get the whole tweet thread on my <clears throat> uh, tweet deck because tweet deck has been being weird for me the last couple of days. But uh, I think I think Coin Icarus put me on there. Um, I'm pretty sure, let's see, what did Gigi put me on there? Uh, no, Gigi didn't put me on there. I don't think, but in either event, there are a lot of the heavy duty maximalists. that are coming out of the woodwork to put all the best, uh, Bitcoin only podcasts on this, uh, tweet thread. And like she said, publish, she will publish a list of the most mentioned ones at Forbes. So this, again, if you want to go help out uh, all the brothers and sisters in this space trying to, you know, make something of their podcast, uh, it would be helpful if you went to this particular tweet. Um, it's, uh, let's see, just, you can find, oh, wait, not that's not the one that I want. I want this one. Okay, so it was released at my time, which is Central Daylight Time, at 4.53 p.m. yesterday. And again, you're looking for the tweet from <clears throat> Tatiana Kaufman at T-A-T-I-N-A-K-O-F-F-M-A-N. And if you know how to work a advanced Twitter search, you'll be able to find that thing. Give us all a mention, you know, not only me, but, you know, TFTC, uh, uh, Citizen Bitcoin, um, Bitcoin Audible. Uh, yeah, Guy Swan put me on his list. That's right. <clears throat> Guy Swan put me on his list, and I'm super honored to be even remotely considered amongst some of these people in the space, man. It's it's amazing. But the last thing that I want to say about that is the lack of shitcoin uh, podcasts that are being listed in the thread. And I'm not talking about just, you know, the fact that uh, Brady Swenson and Guy Swan and you know, all those guys are not listing shitcoin <clears throat> podcasts. Clearly, they're never going to. But the the lack of people from the shitcoining community that are in that thread that are throwing up their their podcasts that are just essentially just going to get people in trouble for buying ETH and Polkadot and God only knows what other monstrosity is out there. So... Thank you, Tatiana. Thank you, Brady. Thank you, Guy. Thank you to all the people that keep mentioning the good podcasts in this space. And again, honored to be considered part of one of the good podcasts in this space. Moving on. Let's get rolling with this one. The Fed says it's going to start buying individual corporate bonds. Oh, they're going on a little shopping spree. Yeah, they are. They are. CNBC.com's got this one uh, written by Jeff Cox. When he write this one? Oh, yeah, he wrote it yesterday when the news broke, which was after my show. Of course, it's always like that. <clears throat> the Federal Reserve is expanding its foray into corporate credit to now buy individual corporate bonds on top of the exchange-traded funds 
It already is purchasing, the central bank announced on Monday. How is this not junk bonds? I, I don't know. As part of a continuing effort to support market functioning and ease credit conditions, the Fed added functions to its secondary market corporate credit facility. The program has the ability to buy up to get this $750 billion worth of corporate credit. Its March 23rd initial announcement is largely considered a watershed moment for the financial markets reeling from the coronavirus threat spread. Quote, the decision to buy a broad portfolio of corporate bonds represents a shift to a more active strategy for the secondary market corporate credit facility rather than the passive approach originally envisioned, said Stephen Friedman, senior macroeconomist at McKay Shields. The move comes less than a week after a downbeat federal open market committee view of the United States economy in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic, moving to a more aggressive bond buying strategy, quote, may also reflect the committee's view that the economic recovery from the ongoing COVID-19 crisis will be an extended and challenging one with credit markets requiring extensive support, Friedman added. Under the latest guidelines, the Fed said that it will buy on the secondary market individual bonds that have Remaining maturities of five years or less, those purchases will go along with the ETFs the Fed already has been buying, which are balanced towards investment-grade indexes, but also include some junk bond funds that track debt, oh God, which had been investment-grade before the crisis, but had been downgraded after they are buying junk bonds. Wow. Man, that's just sad. Uh, okay. The in- intent of the individual debt purchases will be to quote to create a corporate bond portfolio that is based on a broad diversified market index of u.s corporate bonds the fed said in a news release quote this index is made up of all the bonds in the secondary market that have been issued by u.s companies that satisfy the facility's minimum rating maximum maturity and other criteria what that it's on fire does it have to be on fire to buy it this indexing, oh, sorry, this indexing approach will complement the facility's current purchase of exchange-traded funds, the statement said. Issuers must have been rated triple B or BAA3, depending on the agency, as of March the 22nd, just before the Fed announced its credit facilities. The move comes amid failing or falling yields and far better conditions that were in a place as the credit market froze up in mid-March as the pandemic caused a lockdown across a huge swath of the United States economy. Stocks initially jumped after the 2 p.m. announcement, and the Dow Jones Industrial Average closed up 157 points after being down more than 700 at one point. Quote, what it does primarily is continues to push fixed income lower and tighter and helps prop up the stock market, which is the real issue here, said Patrick Leary, chief market strategist at In Capital. It's a reminder to the marketplace that the Fed is here with its balance sheet and is going to deploy that balance sheet to try to support markets and market functioning, end quote. Rising fears of a coronavirus resurgence helped trigger on Thursday the worst one-day stock performance since the Fed announced on March the 23rd its intention to buy corporate bonds a step it had never taken before. Leary said some companies wanting to bring debt offerings had trouble after the route and an indication the Fed may have heard and decided to act. (gasps) The Fed has been deploying historically aggressive policy moves over the last three months and Monday's action again raised fears of overreach as the central bank helps prop up credit markets laden with zombie companies 
whose revenue don't cover their debt payments, quote, I think the bond purchases are a mistake because they already achieved their objective, said Christopher Whalen, former investment banker and head of Whalen Global Advisors. The Fed doesn't need to get distracted. What they care about is that markets work and spreads don't go crazy. The Fed has to realize that other than assuring that market conditions are acceptable, they really shouldn't go diving into this stuff. Okay, that, there's a couple of more paragraphs, but honestly, it's just a little bit of analysis, market analysis. The, honestly, what you need to know is that <clears throat> the Fed is buying junk bonds. They're buying shit that's on fire. It's not, I mean, they're not even waiting for the fire department to put out the building that's on fire so that the building can have a fire sale. Hell no, man. They're just taking the stock out of the burning store while it's on fire, throwing it into a truck and letting it burn some more. This will not end well. It never does. But this one, you know, the, the real question is, as always, is this it? Is this the one? Again, nobody really knows just how far down the way the road actually goes that the can be can be kicked. It's sad, but it's happening. So the Daily Hodel staff writing this one for the Daily Hodel sometime yesterday. Regulators strip licenses from hundreds of companies operating crypto ventures in Europe. Regulators in Estonia have stripped 500 cryptocurrency licenses from firms operating in that country in a nationwide crackdown on the industry. The number of crypto licenses that have been revoked represent about a third of the total number issued. Regulators suspect that crypto firms and Bitcoin exchanges have been leveraging their platforms to commit illicit transfers, of course, including embezzlement. Mattis Raymond, I, yeah, whatever, head of the Estonian Financial Intelligence Unit, says via Bloomberg, quote, This is the first step in tidying up the market, allowing us to take care of the most urgent issues by permitting operations only for companies that could be subjected to Estonian supervision and coercive measures, end quote. The strike to Estonia's crypto industry follows allegations that a local branch of Danske Bank facilitated the transfer of billion dollars in illicit cash. The Danish leader, lender has been embroiled in the largest money laundering scandal in Europe to the tune of $220 billion, dubbed the Troika Laundromat Scandal, a long list of banks and financial institutions allegedly cooked books and fudged figures to facilitate illegal transactions behind closed doors in an effort to minimize the risks related to money laundering. The Estonian government passed a bill that makes it difficult for applicants to acquire a crypto license. According to new regulations, permits for cryptocurrency companies will now take three times longer to obtain and will be 11 times more expensive, providing further barriers to entry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, Estonia is probably not going to be one of the countries that quotes unquote gets it because I guarantee you the very first country in the world that gets it is going to be one of the main winners in the next 1000 years. I'm just saying, man. Now here we have on the heels of somebody acting stupid. We have a story about a country that may be one of the ones that gets it. Uh, Mohammed Musharraf is writing this one for Cointelegraph sometime this morning. Kazakhstan seeks to attract $740 million in crypto investments over the next three years. The government of Kazakhstan has set a goal to attract that $738 million from investments in cryptocurrency-related mining activities. According to the Astana Times on June the 16th, Kazakhstan's Minister of Digital Development, Innovation, and Aerospace Industry, Askar 
I have no hope on this last name, revealed the plan in an address to the upper house of the Kazakh parliament. During the parliamentary session, discussing a possible ban on the issuance of and circulation of cryptocurrencies, uh, Mr. Last Name highlighted the progress of countries like the United States, Sweden, and South Korea in the field of cryptocurrency and digital mining. He added that the sector was also growing in Kazakhstan as the country currently has 14 cryptocurrency mining farms that have brought approximately $201 million worth of investment. Quote, according to the report that we have prepared with international experts, we expect another 300 billion tanges, tangies, whatever, it's worth $738 million U.S., in the next three years claimed Mr. Last Name. The bill under discussion during the parliamentary session did not prohibit cryptocurrency mining activities in the country. In December 2019, Cointelegraph reported that Kazakhstan lawmakers will not be taxing income generated from cryptocurrency mining as tax liabilities were only applicable to the income made in, quote, real money. (laughs) This was because Kazakhstan did not consider crypto mining as an entrepreneurial activity, but as a purely technological progress. It was also noted that mining farms that use mining hardware to offer crypto mining services were still susceptible for taxation in the same manner as data centers. So uh, it's like, it's kind of like watching a baby struggling to, to, you know, get up off of its back and then turn over onto its stomach and then start trying to get itself up on its hands and knees. It's trying. You have to let them go. You can't, you, you can't interfere with that pro- progress, especially with human babies. Um, it's, not, it's not a good plan. You need to let the baby do it all by themselves. Um, you can encourage them verbally, yay, yay. And that's what I'm, I'm hoping for Kazakhstan, but we'll have to see. It'll take time. I mean, it, you know, I've, I have two children and I watch them both go through that process and it's, uh, it, it's a long one. Although once it's done, next thing you know, they're, they're running. It's amazing. Let me just kind of like stall a little bit. It's amazing to watch a kid as a, as a, you know, infant become a toddler because the second that they are good on their four feet, okay, hands and knees. They're pretty fast. They're, in fact, they're so fast that if you're not really careful because you're, not used, you're used to having your baby in the same place all the time, all of a sudden shit changes and they're like across the room and you're like, hell, how did it get there? And then they start getting on their two legs and then shit gets real weird, man, because they are just like all over the place. So this is where I think Kazakhstan and a lot of countries are. The babies that will be able to get up on their bellies and get up on all fours and then get up on their two legs are going to be the winners. The ones who sit on their or lay on their back and cry like little bitches. Yeah, I just don't have any hope for them, but whatever. Crypto map reveals the most Bitcoin maximalist country on earth. Oh yeah, baby. Matthew DeSalvo is writing this one yesterday for Decrypt.co. Where on earth does Bitcoin most dominate interest compared to other coins? A new interactive cryptocurrency world map tallies up Google Trends. Okay. <clears throat> a new interactive map created by BlockchainCenter.net is taking a look at cryptocurrency search interest by country of 10 of the most popular cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin, and then there's a list of nine shitcoins. I'm not even going to name them because it's not worth my fucking time. According to the data, by far the most searched for coin in all countries is Bitcoin with a dominance of 
80.8%. Ethereum falls far behind in second place at 13.7. That's because nobody really gives a shit about anything but Bitcoin. And the country where Bitcoin most dominates search interest is, perhaps surprisingly to some, Kenya, where 94.7% of cryptocurrency searches within the country were related to the biggest coin by market cap. The news that Kenya is the most Bitcoin maximalist country may not come as a shock to all of those keeping a close eye on the region, given that several crypto industry players consider Africa to be the future of Bitcoin. I am, consider, I am going to consider myself one of the people that consider Africa one of the most important continents for Bitcoin in the next 10 years. And well, actually from, from now on, okay, from a, like about five years ago on, there we go. The continent has been using Bitcoin for years in part because it is full of emerging economies and there's little resistance to new financial technology. Jack Dorsey, CEO of Twitter and payment provider Square last year said that the continent would define the future of Bitcoin. <clears throat> it will help. It won't be the only definition of it, but it will definitely be part of it. Kenya, in particular, is witnessing a digital revolution. The East African country has a booming startup scene, and it was there that the M-Pesa, a mobile payment system for Kenyans without bank accounts, was created. Other African countries made the top 10 Bitcoin maximalist list with Nigeria at 89.4%, South Africa searching uh, cryptocurrencies for Bitcoin at 89% in fifth and sixth place, respectively. Nigeria and South Africa, incidentally, have been considerable have seen considerable growth in terms of local bitcoin trading as of late in fact according to data from metrics site a useful tulips africa once again broke its weekly btc trading volume record in late may with nigeria leading the way elsewhere on the globe however is where altcoins get their shine oh god do i have to read you spelled shitcoin wrong whatever according to the interactive map it is Eastern Europe that appears to be the most interested in altcoins. Gee, I wonder why. Russia and Ukraine top the list for countries where altcoins are most searched for in Google, with Serbia in third place. Despite Bitcoin topping the most searched coin in all countries, market cap ranking does not mirror such uh, or search volume rankings, blockchaincenter.net says. For example, Dogecoin is not in the top 30 by market cap, but makes the cut in the top 10 of the most searched cryptocurrencies. It's because everybody loves the Doge. I mean, I could hate shit coins as much as the, as much as the most hardcore shitcoin maximalist, however, or sorry, Bitcoin maximalist, but however, I cannot get over the fact that Doge was the first meme coin created by somebody who hated Bitcoin and is still going really strong even after the creator who hated Bitcoin's departure. I love that story. I'm never going to not love that story. Therefore, I will never sell my bag of Doge. Ever. A, because it'd be unethical to do so. But B, God, I, I love my Doge. Craig Wright, ooh, yeah, denies hacking Mt. Gox. Says he bought that Bitcoin. Oh, yeah, Betty. Stephen O'Neill writing this one for Cointelegraph sometime this morning. Craig Wright, the self-proclaimed uh, Satoshi Nakamoto candidate and chief scientist at Enchain has addressed the recent allegations about him hacking the now-defunct exchange Mt. Gox. I only pause just to say. I'm reading this just because it's almost like the epitome of a statement that is, in fact, a, a non-statement. It's just bizarre. Let's just do it. Last week, 
a lead maintainer of Monero privacy coin, Ricardo Spagni or Fluffy Pony, tweeted out court documents suggesting Craig Wright's affiliation with a Mt. Gox related Bitcoin wallet known as 1FEEX. Quote, just so we're clear, Craig Wright has just openly admitted via his lawyers to be the guy that stole 80,000 BTC from Mt. Gox. Spagney's tweet followed a string of letters sent by Wright's lawyers on June the 12th, where they stressed that their client owns 80 BTC on the 1FEX address, which has been associated with the Mt. Gox hack. I think that's a typo, but whatever. In a statement shared with Cointelegraph earlier today, Wright claims that he purchased the Bitcoin stored in the 1FEEX wallet in late February 2011, and it was transferred into that address on 1st of March that year. The full amount of the Bitcoin, which is now owned by Tulip Trading Limited, remains in that address today, the N-Chain chief scientist said. According to Wright, the only evidence presented as part of the allegations is a purported Skype chat between Mark Carpellis and Jeb McCaleb but that document is only a text file rather than a validated Skype log, end quote. Quote, no other evidence or any credible evidence, such as internal accounting records from Mt. Gox has been put forward. He continued, Wright also stressed that Mark Carpellis has been convicted of manipulating company records before. Oh, that, for- Sorry about- uh, the forger calling another person a forger is probably a forgery. <clears throat> the statement also mentions that the one FEX Bitcoin transaction was not reported to the police between March uh, 2011 and Mt. Gox's breakdown in 2014, nor did Mt. Gox make any attempt to recover that Bitcoin. Wright finds it suspicious since the alleged Skype document suggests that Carpellis would have known that the missing cryptocurrency was stored in the 1FEX address. Wright closed his statement offering anyone, quote, including the liquidators of Mt. Gox, end quote, to contact his lawyers if they want to claim claim ownership of the said Bitcoin. Let me read, read that again. He's offering anyone, including the Mt. Gox liquidators, to contact his lawyers if they want to claim ownership of said Bitcoin. Would you really want to crawl into the sandbox with that dumb son of a bitch? I mean, because you know what that means. He's baiting y'all because he never wants to get out of court. He never wants to leave the courtroom. He knows he can never be an actual lawyer. So the only way that he gets to fulfill his weird, what is it called, Munchausen syndrome shit is to continuously be in litigation. And since Craig or uh, since Calvin Ayer, Craig's benefactor, has like more money than God, apparently he's going to be able to do that until the day he dies. And honestly, it's just so sad. But Continuing, as part of one of Wright's ongoing legal battles, he claims to own the Tulip Trust, a number of Bitcoin wallet addresses holding roughly uh, 1.1 million BTC uh, that he and his business partner, Dave Kleeman, had allegedly mined. Uh, Kleeman passed away in 2013, leaving Wright unable to retrieve the funds. Wright is now locked in a court battle with the estate of Dave Kleeman. As he recently told Cointelegraph, he is, oh God, quote, 99.9999 and a few nines percent certain, end quote, that he will be taking control of the Tulip Trust addresses. A trial for this case is scheduled for July in the Southern District of Florida. God, please let the circus end there. Let's do vitals. Well, doctor, the patient has a pulse. Apparently, the news of them buying, of the Fed buying 
absolutely anything that they will be able to lay their hands on, including very large turds that haven't been flushed down the toilet yet. The markets are going crazy today. Everything is up. And I mean, freaking everything is up, dude. S&P 500 up one and a half. NASDAQ up one and a half. Dow Jones up one and three quarters. The FTSE's up damn near three. Nikkei index is up almost 5%. The Hang Seng is up two and a third percent. The Shanghai index is up one and a half. My God almighty, you people don't understand. Bonds are mostly up. Uh, 10 years up, 30 years up, US five is up, US two years up. The three month is down. It's off by probably a margin of error. The buns, who gives a shit because it's in negative territory and has been for years. Japan is out, is not in negative territory again. And it actually did pretty well today. It's up 0.013%. And that brings its yield to 0.015%. Uh, UK 10-year is also up, and it's yielding 0.2%. Oil had eh, kind of a rally. Well, no, it's not a rally. It's up 1%. Its last was uh, $37.46 for a barrel of West Texas Intermediate. Natural gas took a, took it on the chin, though, man. It's down almost 4%. It's uh, fetching $1.6 for 1,000 cubic feet, if I read that right. Uh, gold is anemic. It's up half a percent and is chilling out at $1,734. Silver is up. Actually, silver clobbered gold today. It's up 1.18% and its last was $17.60. Let's talk about real money. Bitcoin's at 9453 I got uh, a high over a bit asset at 9545 and it looks like the low is over at GDAX, 9443 So we got about $100 worth of arbitrage there. 331,000 transactions were sent in the last 24 hours, giving us an average transaction sent per hour of about 14,000. 1.17 million BTC were sent in that 24-hour period, with about 50,000 BTC being sent on average per hour. The average transaction value is 3.5 BTC, and the median transaction value is back up to 0.049 BTC, or about 460 bucks. Block times are low. Uh, Nine minutes and 36 seconds, we have 0.33 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis, and a 50 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We've had a dip in the hash rate, according to BitInfo charts. The hash rate has lost almost 10% and is chilling out at 100.712 exahashes per second. And that's going to be odd because here in about, let me see if it's changed. Um, Just bear with me. Bear with me. In 10 blocks, we have a difficulty retarget. We'll get to that in a second. So um, I'm surprised that uh, that the hash rate is leaving the network before the retarget of difficulty because we are going to have an upward uh, size retarget. This seems odd. Uh, Whatever. Probably a conspiracy. Uh, Last time somebody did a commit to the Bitcoin core repository on GitHub was sometime today. Ethereum at 233, Bcash at 235, BSV at 176, Litecoin at 43 and a half, Ethereum Classic at six and a quarter, Dogecoin, 
Dogecoin kind of has kind of lost it again, 0.0024, but at 53,871 transactions in the last 24 hours, it is clobbering the usual suspects. Ethereum Classic, Litecoin, and Bcash. Bcash is having some real difficulty uh, getting people interested in using their chain. BSV, the only reason anybody uses their chain is because it's not anybody. It's weather reports that are literally, it's, they're just clogging up their own chain with, with ridiculous data just so that they can look like they're actually having transactions. But those transactions have almost no value whatsoever. Anyway, let's, let's, uh, let's talk about what my note has to say. Yes, my note has the hash rate on the daily average as 102.7 exahashes per second. And the weekly is at 109.7 exahashes per second. I have 22,225 transactions in my mempool. Oh, I got an empty block. I do. I have an empty block. Em- uh, block height, 635,024 is completely empty. Wow. It has a volume of 6 BTC. There is one transaction. There were zero fees on this particular block. It's a dead block. That's what it looks like. Uh, let's see what Clark Moody has to say about stuff. Uh, Clark Moody, let me refresh him just for grins. Transactions in Clark Moody's mempool is 20,336. So you can see that it's not the mempool. I have what I have in my mempool, which may reflect a good percentage of the same thing that other people have in their mempool, but those mempools are going to be different. Why? Because it's not the mempool. I have my mempool, Clark Moody has him, his mempool, and my mempool can beat up Clark Moody's mempool any day of the week. All right, so he's got 20,000. Uh, looks like he's showing uh, 11 megabytes in size for the for his mempool and 12 blocks need to clear to get all those transactions through Lightning Network. We have 941 BTC as capacity. We have eight, that is representing $8.9 million in liquidity. There are 700 or 7,230 nodes. There are 36,327 channels in Tor. However, we've ticked up yet again. Good job, guys. 427 BTC is the capacity for Tor. And that brings us up to 45.4%. Yesterday it was 45.3%, if I remember correctly. And we still have 2,108 nodes. Now, difficulty retargeting. This is another part of Clark Moody Bitcoin a.k.a. bitcoin.clarkmoodyallonewordcom forward slash dashboard. Go there. It's got some nice stuff on it, man. Uh, we have nine blocks to retarget, and it is 10.46 a.m. Central Daylight Time. Uh, it will has an estimated difficulty change of 14.8% upwards. Mm. Let's get... So we haven't had... This large of a retarget since, was it January or something like that? It's been a while since we've seen this, this large of a retarget to the upside. So I don't know, my, my opinion, that's bullish, but whatever. We'll, let's do morning roundup part two to snooze the Yuki.
Let's start this one out with the United States Marine Corps litany for your node. This is my node. There are many like it, but this one is mine. My node is my best friend. It is my life. I must master it as I must master my life. We will become part of each other. We will. Before God, I swear this creed. My node and I are the defenders of my country. We are the masters of our enemy. We are the saviors of my life. Without me, my node is useless. Without my node, I am useless. I must fire my node true. I must shoot straighter than my enemy who is trying to kill me. I must shoot him before he shoots me. I will. My node and I know that what counts in war is not the rounds we fire, the noise of our burst, nor the smoke we make. We know that it is the hits that count we will hit. My node is human, even as I, because it is my life. Thus, I will learn it as a brother. I will learn its weaknesses, its strengths, its parts, its accessories, its sights, and its barrel. I will keep my node clean and ready, even as I am clean and ready. Yeah, I know. It's totally psycho, but hey, tried to be the best maximalist I can be here. Let's get into this. Bitcoin missed its golden opportunity, says Bloomberg. <laughs> I was talking about this shit yesterday. The pandemic and the economic market slump were the prime test for Bitcoin's key narratives. It didn't fare well. Oh, didn't it? Oh, my God. Liam Frost writing this one for Decrypt.co sometime this morning. Bitcoin failed to take advantage of the perfect storm created by the coronavirus, falling short of becoming digital gold, according to Bloomberg on Monday. When the coronavirus pandemic began to engulf the whole world, many experts such as Galaxy Digital CEO Mike Novogratz argued that Bitcoin's moment, this is like in like underlined and in quotes, underlined because it's a link, but still in quotes, <clears throat> could be just around the corner. For a start, the U.S. Federal Reserve was printing billions, no, trillions, of new U.S. dollars and inflating its supply while the new supply of Bitcoin... Uh, was instead being reduced during its halving. Bitcoin was presented as a hedge against economic uncertainty, a digital version of gold, and the one thing that remains resilient in the world of chaos. But per Bloomberg, Bitcoin failed at exactly that. Uh, Joe Weisenthal, or at the stalwart, says six reasons it has been a bad year for Bitcoin. This is a tweet that old Joe made, uh, Uncle Joe made. Sometime, when you do this, yeah, this was yesterday. I saw this, but completely disregarded it. Uh, he's just linking to his bullshit piece about why he hates Bitcoin. That's all this is. Quote, despite the extraordinary market volatility, it hasn't surged to new highs. In fact, it continues to make a general trend of lower highs. This takes away the argument that an economic crisis creates a boom for Bitcoin. Bloomberg editor Joe Weisenthal wrote in a market briefing, he pointed to the clear correlation between the price of Bitcoin and traditional markets in the last few months. On March the 12th, most markets around the world crashed amid the outbreak and Bitcoin followed suit. The price of BTC dipped twice in two days, plunging from around 9,000 to as low as 4,100. Then as the market recovered, so did Bitcoin. Quote, this undermines the argument that Bitcoin has good portfolio diversification properties. I'm glad I never worked with this asshole as a scientist when I was working as a scientist in the health science center at Texas tech university, because I would look at this person as somebody who didn't know his ass from a hole in the ground. Sorry. One of the biggest arguments for Bitcoin 
is that it has a fixed inflation rate that decreases over time until it effectively goes to zero. It has often contrasted against fiat currencies like the US dollar, which have high inflation rates and in some cases, hyperinflation. Symbolic moment for a Bitcoin's alternative and fixed monetary policy was its recent halving when the new supply of Bitcoin was cut in half. This is a process that occurs every four years, but it failed to stimulate a price rally in the near term. The Bitcoin halving, a slowing of new supply, which many Bitcoiners championed as a likely catalyst for a move higher, came and went without much impact, said Weisenthal. Quote, the Fed has engaged in extraordinary balance sheet expansion and governments around the world are running major deficits and it hasn't led to the kind of inflation or currency collapse that many Bitcoiners would have predicted. So that undermines some of the popular stories about what would catalyze a Bitcoin boom, end quote. Worse, Bitcoin fever is moving back into traditional stocks. While the ICO boom was characterized by retail investors plowing into speculative cryptocurrencies, it has largely died out with the SEC cracking down heavily on ICOs. And now modern apps like Robinhood are making it much easier for retail investors to put a gun to their head and play Russian roulette. But that's not what they said. They said easier for retail investors to get involved in stocks and shares much more easily. Quote, young people are discovering the stock market via platforms like Robinhood. So to the degree that people were putting money into Bitcoin because they liked volatility and action, there's a new competitor on the block for those dollars, he said. Does that make stocks the new Bitcoin? Oh, it hurts. It hurts. I don't know what's what bug got up Joe Weisenthal's ass, but this dude, I wouldn't listen to a single thing he said for a couple of reasons. One, we know who's actually buying the stocks. Is okay. This is uh, we we know why why these price swings. This is not organic, and anybody who thinks that this is organic is fooling themselves. This notion of um. The, that we haven't seen hyperinflation or or any kind of inflation at all because and that would lead to cur- currency collapse because of the balance sheet expansion. That's what he's you know what he was talking about. Okay, uh, Weimar Republic, they were printing money like mad, and what um, what did not immediately happen? Inflation. Why? Because people were shoving these things under the under their mattress, and they were not letting go of a single one of them. Because that's all they had. That was all they had. That was all they believed in. That was all that they were taught to believe in. Remember the monkey in the cage, monkeys in the cage story I was telling you yesterday about? This is the this is an example of what I'm talking about. This is all that they had. It wasn't until months later that you started getting hints of inflation, which quickly devolved into hyperinflation. Do I think that that's going to happen here? I don't know. I just don't. We are not in the time of the Weimar Republic. However, I do not see this as being anything but bad. Okay? I, this is not investment advice, but I'm not sure how you can sit there and go, yeah, money printer go burr is good. I, I, I don't see that. And for the last thing, there has never been a halving that immediately led to Bitcoin's immediate price rocketing to the moon. I've looked at the chart many, many times. I've looked at the, at the, and I'm, the chart that I'm talking about is the overall price as long as far as we can go back. And then there's three lines where the, where the lines where the having, uh, havings occur. 
And you know what never happens? Like the day after the halving or the week after the halving or the month after the halving, it, the price never really goes up. It's a flat line. It goes to the right. It doesn't go up and to the right. It doesn't go down and to the right. It just goes to the right. And then some months later, let's say weeks and let's maybe six to 12 weeks or something like that, depending, then it starts to kind of go up. All right. So I'm not sure what this idiot's talking about. And the last thing that I'm going to say about this entire thing is the, the headline, which is not decrypt's fault. Um, this is basically uh, Joe Weisenthal's uh, shit coming through. Um, Bitcoin failed to take advantage of the perfect storm. That narrative, along with Bitcoin missed its golden opportunity, says Bloomberg. And a couple of other statements that Joe said. Uh, I talked about this yesterday. Every block that passes, every block that is mined, every 10 minutes or so is Bitcoin's opportunity to shine. It's not a pandemic that you had to hope would happen for, for Bitcoin to shine. It's not the Federal Reserve pumping like trillions and trillions of dollars that they made an announcement of on a single day. It's none of that. I mean, we could have another major terrorist strike in the heart of, I don't know, let's say Russia or something like that. That's even made you know 9-11 even worse. That's not going to be Bitcoin's golden opportunity. The golden opportunity of Bitcoin is the protocol that releases one block of transactions every 10 minutes, more or less every 10 minutes, depending on what the speed of the network is at the time. That's the golden opportunity. It's not a single event. It's not a combination of external events. It's not that. The golden opportunity is the survivability of those blocks into perpetuity and the minting of fresh blocks that have uh, compiled transactions inside those blocks in spite of the externalities that are going on. That's the opportunity. And that's what Joe misses. Joe, again, does not know his ass from a hole in the ground. Please stop listening to him. Stephen O'Neill writing this one for Cointelegraph sometime this morning. Researcher refutes the blackmail theory behind the mysterious Ether transactions. Ah, we have an, an alternative tinfoil hat theory. Let's, let's get it going on. <clears throat> Abnormal transaction fees from last week may not be blackmail after all, according to Alex Manuskin, a blockchain researcher at wallet company Zengo. Last week, the crypto community spotted transaction fees of up to $2.6 million featured in several transactions on the Ethereum network. Vitalik Buterin has since suggested that the abnormous fees, abnormous? I, I hope that's a joke word. I'm thinking abnormal fees may actually be blackmail, but some researchers have now challenged that claim. The first suspicious transfer took place on June the 10th when $2.6 million in fees was paid to move just half an Ether. Within 24 hours, a second transaction of 350 ETH was made from the same wallet, spending the exact same amount, $2.6 million in gas. The next day, the Ethereum blockchain processed a third abnormal transfer. Although from a different wallet, the transaction saw 2,310 ETH, or roughly half a million dollars being paid to transfer 3,221 Ether on June the 12th, Chinese analyst for analysis firm Peck Shield 
concluded that the multi-million dollar fees were paid by hackers seeking to ransom a cryptocurrency exchange after gaining limited access to the platform's operational functions. According to PeckShield, the hackers are threatening to empty the exchange's wallet um, if they are not paid a bribe. Vitalik Buterin has since retweeted that article elaborating on the theory, quote, hackers captured partial access to exchange key. They can't withdraw, but can send no effect transactions with any gas price. So they threaten to burn all funds via transaction fees unless compensated. End quote. In a recent interview with Cointelegraph, Alex Manuskin, a blockchain researcher at Tel Aviv-based cryptocurrency wallet company Zengo, said the blackmail theory takes some very peculiar circumstances for it to be possible. End quote. Manuskin stressed that after the first incident, the, the supposedly hacked account did not change its behavior, continuing to run in normal mode. Quote, transactions going continued going in and out. If the hackers controlled the key, why did they, the hacked entity, continue operating the service as usual, end quote. According to Manuskin, if hackers indeed gained limited access to the key that allowed them to send transactions to the whitelist addresses, such as customers' addresses that had been pre-approved by the entity controlling the hacked wallet, the hacked service would do all it can to halt all operations and not put additional funds at risk. Quote, if indeed this was a bug, not noticing such an incident as crazy, Manuskin went on to argue, suggesting that the story behind the transaction remains a mystery for now. He added, quote, but to imagine a service that operates $10 million USD worth of funds and does not keep backups for the keys of such funds and doesn't do anything to try and seal the breach is also crazy, end quote. <clears throat> See Quadriga's CX. Just saying. The blockchain researcher suggests that the address could belong to some service in East Asia that users access from various exchanges, including BitThumb, OKX, uh, CoinOne, and others. This week, two mining pools involved in the abnormal string of uh, transactions, EtherChain and SparkPool, both announced that they are going to distribute the millions of dollars in fees they receive from the strange transactions. Both pools have stressed that they have given sufficient time for the sender to get in touch with them. Quote, if it were indeed a blackmail attack, we would expect the victim to immediately contact the miners to retrieve the lost funds, Manuskin argued in a blog post. I don't agree. That's the end of the article, but I, I, I don't agree. The premise, the premise of the original theory is that unless they get paid by the people whose wallet they are draining in gas fees, then they're going to continue draining in gas fees and they don't give a shit. In fact, if they were to try to contact the miners, that's one more possible way that their location or identity or both could be compromised. I wouldn't do it. I'd be like, I'm going to burn you down until you send X cryptocurrency to this wallet address and I'm not going to contact the miners. I don't give a shit because that's not the point of the attack. My only alternative theory is that somebody who really doesn't like either the exchange or the people behind it or both or whatever, just literally does not give a shit. There are people on the planet that will burn things down just to watch it burn. Don't disregard that particular theory, right? Honestly, I kind of think it's the original theory. I don't like agreeing with Vitalik, but I kind of agree with Vitalik. It seems appropriate that they would do it in this way. But again, the whole reason this can happen is because of all the garbage that ETH is. 
that all the plumbing that it has inside of it. There's so much game theory that has yet to be discovered inside the, the, the mechanical workings of Ethereum that I suspect that there's going to be more and even more fun hacks are going to happen with Ethereum going into the future. And then, then if they ever change the proof of stake, things are going to get really fun because they're going to keep a lot of this bullshit architecture inside and move it to proof of stake, which is now, or if they ever do it, two weeks, trademark, if they ever do it, when they install proof of stake, it's going to add one more variable to be added into the set of variables that people who have no better thing to do with their time than to figure out how to, you know, do game theory, uh, figure out a way to fuck these people. Don't, I, I, not investment advice. I would get out of Ethereum. I would get out of everything but Bitcoin. Not, well, okay. Again, not investment advice. I just wouldn't be dicking with the altcoins or the altcoin casino that uh, Ethereum has allowed to uh, fester. Casa launches free private crypto wallet for Bitcoin beginners. Wow. Andrew Hayward writing this one yesterday for Decrypt.co says, Casa launches free private crypto wallets for Bitcoin beginners. Casa has a complex service available for serious hodlers to safely store their Bitcoin. But now the company is aiming at a much more casual audience with the newly launched Casa wallet. The Casa wallet is built within the same mobile app as the company's multi-signature premium subscription services, but it is completely free to use and targeted towards crypto newcomers and those with smaller amounts of Bitcoin. Okay. Quote, the genesis of the Casa wallet goes all the way back to 2018 when our premium clients began asking us for a wallet they'd feel comfortable recommending to their family and friends, wrote Casa's Michael Haley in a blog post. Quote, we realized there wasn't an option on the market as easy as a custodial wallet, but which stayed true to the Bitcoin values of giving you full control and sovereignty over your money. So we decided to build one right inside of our Keymaster app. <laughs> the wallet has a seedless setup by default, which means that the app creates a key on your phone and then splits a backup between Casa and the cloud service of your phone's operating system maker, either Apple or Google. It also includes a health check feature to ensure that your key is still functional, that the seed is safely stored, that the wallet is backed up, and that the signature works. No transaction is required to perform a health check. Casa Wallet can be used to hold any amount of Bitcoin. There's no limit to the free service. However, Casa recommends using one of his premium services for higher amounts and longer term holding given the additional security elements available. Casa intends to add further features in the coming months, as well as additional security tips for newcomers. The Casa wallet release comes on the heels of an announced investment from Mantis VC, the new early stage fund co-founded by electronic music DJs, the Chainsmokers. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, dude. If you haven't, honestly, I would have never found the, the Chainsmokers had it not been for my wife. And it's possible, just possible that it may have been my daughter or my son that actually found the first chain smoker song. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to val- you know, elaborate on that, but it's possible. Okay. Uh, yeah, I know. I used to be really hardcore about my rock and roll, Van Halen, Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, Rush, that kind of shit. When you get married, you start listening to chick music. It happens, brother. Watch out. 
Watch out. It's another step towards allowing users options to protect their own Bitcoin. And it comes following a strong response from Casa co-founder and chief technical officer, Jameson Lopp, to reports that exchange Coinbase is selling analytics software to the United States DEA and IRS. Quote, this is no surprise. Our distrust in you is strengthened. We will make your analytics software obsolete, he tweeted. Oh, he's recalling the Nicholas Dorier tweet. And that tweet, I will obsolete you, is that's that's like, I, honestly, I think that's going to end up being just as famous as Hal Finney's running Bitcoin. <laughs> First mover, negative rates or more money printing. Bitcoin may benefit either way. Well, gee, cats, why not both? Bradley Kuhn and Umkar Godbull writing this one for Coindesk sometime. When was it? Sometime today. So far this year, the Fed has created about $3 trillion of new money, an amount equivalent to more than 70% of the total assets created since its founding in 1913. The question now is what the Fed will do next if the economy fails to recover quickly from the devastation of the coronavirus and markets enter a new tailspin. Our strategy, Fed official, or one strategy, Fed officials led by Chair Jerome Powell say they won't pursue cutting benchmark interest rates below zero. In a summary of economic projections published by the Fed last week, not a single official projected negative rates. <laughs> not yet. Cryptocurrency analysts have said negative rates are merely a form of ultra-loose monetary policy, which should eventually push inflation higher. That could be a catalyst for higher prices for Bitcoin seen as a hedge against inflation similar to gold, but Bitcoin might trade higher even if the Fed rejects negative rates outright, since the United States Central Bank would instead probably just inject trillions more freshly created dollars into the financial system. Quote, reluctance to go negative means more QE reliance. <coughs> oh my heavens, pardon me. Uh, said Mark Ostwald, a chief economist at London-based ADM Investor Services. The Fed's money injections in response to the coronavirus have helped push up Bitcoin prices by 30% so far this year on speculation that inflation will eventually arrive. Quote, extremely accom accommodative policy is bullish for Bitcoin, said Rich Rosenblum, founder of crypto trading firm or cryptocurrency trading firm GSR. The Fed is already injecting about $120 billion a month into the financial system by purchasing U.S. treasuries and mortgage-backed securities, and the pace would likely increase if markets suddenly turned lower. Former Fed Chair Ben Bernanke, who pushed the central bank into the money-printing exercise known as quantitative easing, or QE, in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis, has argued the practice can substitute for further rate cuts. Quote, quantitative easing and forward guidance can provide the equivalent of about three additional percentage points of short-term rate cuts, Bernanke said in January. Federal Reserve officials have faced questions about the potential for going negative after they slashed benchmarks rate close to zero in March. As recently as this month, according to, the, to Bank of America economists, traders in the markets for futures contracts on the Fed's main interest rates were betting that the central bank might go negative as soon as 2021. Negative rates have attracted increasing attention among foreign central banks because they got nothing left, including the Bank of England and European Central Bank. The Bank of Japan's main short-term lending rate is already negative at minus 0.1%. An economist with the Federal Reserve St. Louis branch even said recently that U.S. monetary policy officials should consider negative rates 
to help bring about a sharper and broader economic recovery. Oh. Oh. One concern over negative interest rates is they might squeeze commercial banks' profit margins. Oh, since lenders would likely have to reduce rates on loans while struggling to convince depositors to pay banks to hold their savings. A negative interest rate policy also might force banks to pay interest to the Fed for parking spare cash at the central bank. <laughs> Quote, the objection is that financial market plumbing becomes more troublesome with negative rates, said Michael England, principal director and chief economist of Action Econ uh, Economy or Economics, LLC. Gee, the objection is, let's read it again. The objection is that financial market plumbing, I've said it, becomes more troublesome with negative rates. Is it possible? Is it just possible that when you build a house and you build the plumbing to take water from the sinks, toilets, showers, dishwasher, and, and pump it to go out of the house, is it possible that if you flood the sewers with water and the water goes in reverse that we might have problems? Just a thought, I continuing, yet another concern is the convoluted incentives of negative rates might be counterproductive, such as whittling down the monthly incomes of elderly savers who depend on fixed incomes for their retirement savings. That might lead them to spend less, slowing the economic recovery. Low rates have winners and losers, England said, such as punishing senior citizens. Ostwald said the Fed might instead adopt a policy known as yield curve control, where officials establish caps for yields on bonds of varying maturities. The practice, which typically involves purchasing bonds to keep yields from rising too quickly, is considered yet another form of monetary policy accommodation. Analysts in the market for gold, seen as a traditional inflation hedge, have speculated that yield curve control could be bullish for the yellow metal. Rosenblum at GSR says negative rates would likely be even more bullish for Bitcoin simply because they're so unusual and would be seen by many people as a strong beacon for something being broken. End quote. Quote, printing new money via QE is not as palpable uh, as seeing a negative interest rate, Rosenblum said. Seeing your savings literally dropped by X percent each month would be something completely new. End quote. For Bitcoin investors already enjoying gains from the Fed's ongoing QE, negative rates might just represent an additional source of upside. Uh, let's see here. Do, do, do. Yeah, okay. So that honestly the rest of this is just uh market and analysis on Bitcoin price and I I honestly I find that a waste of your time. It's certainly a waste of my time. So I'm going to end right there. But yeah, you design a system that has one-way flow and it's been that way for, you know, centuries. You go in the opposite direction and you're going to find out that the system wasn't designed for that. The last thing I'll say about this is in the form of a question. When is it, when, when exactly was it that money in general as a tool for everyday people became rocket science? When was that day that you needed to have a PhD in economy and be a Nobel laureate to have any kind of say in what goes on? When did that occur that normal people uh, were determined to be too freaking inept to understand, not only understand any of this, but to have a say in what's going on? When was it that money became rocket science? 
if anybody can answer me, I'd, I'd like to, to hear that one. <laughs> but at, in a response to all this, we have this one from Liam Frost, uh, writing for decrypt.co sometime yesterday. United States cities, wooden dollars, herald return of hyper-local currencies. Taneo, Washington, has launched a microcurrency made of printed wooden sheets to support local business owners during the coronavirus pandemic. Tenio, a small American city in Washington, has launched its own local dollars printed on thin sheets of wood to fight the fallout of the coronavirus pandemic. Although this currency is made out of trees and not digits, it's a great example of the impact that custom-made microcurrencies can have on local economies. As the lockdown imposed to control the coronavirus began making its impact felt on local businesses, the city of Tenio decided to print $10,000 of local currency. That would be allocated to low-income residents with the caveat that it could only be used at businesses in the local area. Quote, we were talking about grants for businesses, microloans, trying to team up with a bunch of different banks to Neo Mayor Wayne Fournier, or Fournier told The Hustle. The big concern was, how do we directly help families and individuals? Why not start our own currency? <clears throat> Money grown on trees. To get the wooden dollars to Neo residents, who are below the poverty line must first first prove that lockdowns have impacted them. Although Fournier noted that local authorities are pretty open to what that means. After their request is approved, citizens can receive wooden notes, each worth $25 with a monthly cap of $300 in total. The idea was to create a medium of exchange that would not leave the city and incentivize its residents to spend their note notes at local stores. Understandably, the effort aims to help people buy essentials such as food, gas, daycare, so cigarettes, lottery tickets, and alcohol are off limits. By now, almost every business in Tenio is accepting the wooden dollar. Shop owners and service providers can then submit redemption requests to the city twice a month to redeem the wooden notes for cash. The money stays in the city. It doesn't go to Walmart and Costco and all those places, said Joyce Worrell, who runs local antique shop Ironworks Boutiques, adding that the lockdown has proved to be a catastrophe for local business. A lot of people in our city work for places that hire low-wage help, part-time help, so they've been out of work this entire time. This shows that we're doing something as a community to really step in and help, she noted. The idea isn't new. Tenio first printed its own wooden dollars when the Great Depression hit in 1929 and reportedly helped bring the local economy from the brink of collapse. The same newspaper printer used to print those wooden dollars was dusted off 90 years later for the 2020 print run. Tenio is far from the only community that's created its own local money. Back in 2010, a team of active community members in Sardinia launched Sardex, an area-specific currency that aimed to reinvigorate the island's economy by creating a business-to-business mutual credit system. Sardex has inspired similar projects since then. As Decrypt reported last October, the government of Wales and the UK announced its plans to launch digital currency Selen, modeled after the Sardinian experiment. <clears throat> uh, they have a big old long tweet. There we go. Just like Sardex, Selene allows businesses to trade without the official, official currency, the British pound, using a system of credits that can be reused in the local economy. The developers hope that Selene will could boost the Welsh economy by 250 million pounds over the next 10 years. Dr. Paolo Dini, R&D consultant on Sardex, is also supporting the Welsh pro- 
project. Quote, Wales is similar to Sardinia in that small and medium enterprises make up 99% of our businesses. So this has the potential to significantly boost our economy, said Efrian Williams, CEO of community interest company Circular Economy Wales, which developed Salen. Other hyper-local currencies are turning to blockchain. In 2018, Kenya-based nonprofit Grassroots Economics launched a digital token dubbed Bangla Peza on the Ethereum-based Bancor protocol. Residents of Bangladesh could use the token to trade goats, tomatoes, and charcoal with one another using a highly localized blockchain-based digital currency. Across the world, local communities are responding to economic upheaval with hyper-local currencies, and they're turning to increasingly sophisticated technology such as blockchain to bring them to life. Well, don't forget the printed sheets of wood. Next, we'll be using Stakem and their frozen sheets of meat to trade. Okay, what do I think about this? Do I think it's good or bad? Neither. I think... I'm like the weather, I I feel kind of like the weatherman. It's not that I want the tornado to hit and destroy lives and homes, properties and all that. It's that I'm telling you that the tornado is going to hit and destroy lives and homes and properties. And what do I mean by that? The economies of the central banks of the world are out of it. I mean, when I mean out of it, they're they're literally out of, of ammunition. They've got one cannon left. And all it's going to do is destroy shit. So what happens? Well, it's what any complex system does when that complex system is under threat. It evolves. This is the nature of evolution. I'm serious. It doesn't just happen to biology. It does not just happen to biology. It happens to any sufficiently complex system whether it is a single entity system or a system that has several entities operating within it. The, the, the economic pressures that are being put on the world's populations at the moment and over the last at least 100 years, at least since Bretton Woods was dissolved. Um, well, it was never dissolved. After, we were t- after Bretton Woods <clears throat> and we, the promise of the gold standard for the peg to the United States dollar and everybody in Bretton Woods decided to peg their currency to our dollar because our dollar was going to be safe because of the gold peg. And then in Nick, when Nixon in 1971 said, yeah, gold peg is over. All right. Ever since at least that time, we've been on a full, the world was duped into being on a fully fiat system. All right. Those people signed up for a, for a peg to dollar, which was a peg to gold. They did not sign up for a peg of their fiat currency to the dollar, which had no peg to gold. That they, it, it was a unilateral breach of contract for every country in the world in 1971. It was a breach of contract. And I'm surprised The Hague was, was not immediately flooded with lawsuits against the United States. Of course, you can't sue the United States. I'm not sure how. It doesn't matter. The point is, is that what we're seeing is we're seeing nodes pop up out of the woodwork. Nodes will pop up out of the woodwork when the central method of communication has been compromised. The world's central method of communication is money, the exchange of things for other things that represent certain values. That communication has been completely stepped on. Because of that, 
you are going to get sort of like these little nodules that pop up around the world that circumvent the system that they can no longer rely on. What kind of species is going to come out of this? I have no idea. That's like asking like the day after the, di- the dinosaurs were wiped out by the meteorite, what mammals, you know, what, what, what animals will survive this and what will they look like a hundred million years from now? You don't know, but I'll tell you one thing. This looks like an extinction level event to me. Just saying, keep it in mind. Biology is more applicable than you might think to a great many things. I am already one hour and 12 minutes into this thing and I'm going to end it here. I got two more stories. Um, Okay. I'm not going to read this whole, well, wait a minute. Is it short enough? Okay. I'll do this one. Okay. This is from Crypto Slate. Uh, Shara Malawa uh, writing this for Crypto Slate sometime today. Forbes founder says Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies protect from unstable financial policies urges further development. Oh, so Steve Forbes is getting on board. Goody, he must love Bitcoin. Let's read this one. The world's billionaires and influential businessmen are increasingly speaking on Bitcoin as a hedge and investment while calling out the excessive money printing in the United States and uncertainty in financial markets. The latest to tout Bitcoin is media magnate Steve Forbes, chairman and editor-in-chief of Forbes, Inc. He believes the currency helps stabilize the government-controlled financial system and urges technological development to continue on the Bitcoin blockchain. Oh, Steve is now our friend. Oh, we can trust Steve. Check it out. In an interview by the U.S. Center for the Natural and Artificial Intelligence this weekend, Forbes spoke on cryptocurrency, the digitization of finance, and the future of currencies among broader topics. Cryptocurrencies, Forbes noted, have emerged as a technologically forward cry for help as governments turn to quantitative easings and free credit to revitalize their economies. However, excessive printing causes long-term financial instability. Take Japan as an example. The government ran a QE program in the late 1980s, leading to the lost decade from 1990 to 2000, a period defined by decreasing economic output and inflation. Japan has still not recovered fully, even 30 years after the QE program. Critics say the U.S. is headed down a similar route if additional measures are not put into place. While Bitcoin and the broader crypto markets help with the above, Forbes called out the massive volatility in BTC markets. Oh no, Steve may be turning. In early June, China's former central bank voiced similar concerns, stating Bitcoin was a commercial success, but its volatility meant the protocol was more of a speculative instrument than a serious currency alternative. Now, Steve has still got to love us. Let's, let's get into this one. <clears throat> Bitcoin's 21 million supply was also subject to scrutiny. Forbes noted restricting the supply to eventually create value was a mistake on the creator's part. Oh, no, Steve. Steve's going down in flames, man. I see some smoke. He explained that money is meant to facilitate commerce not control the economy and impede businesses with scarcity. He's lost a wing. He's going down, folks. When asked about the popularity of Bitcoin in Syria, Lebanon, and Venezuela, forms attributed it to overall failed economic structure, not the monetary benefits of BTC by itself. God damn, he's lost the tail section. The three countries are seeing increased Bitcoin adoption since last year. Reports state Bitcoin and Ether are sold at a premium with several retailers in Venezuela now accepting BTC as payment for everyday produce. Smashes into the ocean. 
we have Steve for just a second. He was almost there. And then he decides to make sure that we understand that he has no concept of a hard cap. That's, that's a shame. Maybe we can get Steve pulled up out of the ocean and get his wing and tail section put back on. But honestly, that big old Pratt and Whitney of his is probably fucking toast. I might change the sound effect to one of those plane crashes instead of the train wreck. I don't know. I'm looking for changes here, but that actually may work here more for Steve than anything else. And I have no sound effects today because my Akai MPK decided that it doesn't want to communicate with my computer this morning. I'll probably have to just reboot my whole computer, but needed to get this out. So there are no sound effects today, but that will do it for the morning roundup. Okay, I am 16 minutes over my target, so let's do this one from Dad Says Jokes. I hate it when my wife says, are you listening to me? It's such a random way to start a conversation. Golf clap. I got to do it by myself because my board's dead. Golf clap. Yay, that was a bad joke. That was terrible. Yay. Okay, uh, I'm just going to wrap this up real quick. Uh, I have not, at by the end of this show, it is now 1131, and that boomer, that Gary Leland, has yet to give me my discount code to give y'all for tickets to BitBlock Boom. There are tickets left to BitBlock Boom as soon as Boomer Gary the Boomer will give me my discount code. I will pass that on to you. Why? Because I have absolutely no shame in sharing a ref link to get a little bit of money, if I can, to something that is so Bitcoin maximalist as BitBlock Boom. Because <laughs> it's about as maxi as it gets from what I saw from last year. That's the place that I want to be. And those are the people that I want to see. So it's going to be my first, not my only, but it's definitely going to be my first Bitcoin event. It's happened sometime in late August, unless they change the dates. And we, they had to change the date anyway because of COVID and all that kind of shit. But as soon as he gives me my discount code, aka RefLink, I'm going to shill it to you. And Dieter Bob, I don't want to hear no shit about it, all right? And if you give me shit about it, I'm going to withhold your chihuahua food and make you tacos all goddamn day. So take that, put it in your pipe, smoke it. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.